Hello, and welcome to Brookwood Church Ministries podcast. My name is Doug Wildman, and I'm the counseling and marriage pastor here at Brookwood Church. This message was given by Josh Masters, exploring our relationship with Jesus as our shepherd. It was recorded at our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Brookwood. We pray that it's really helpful for your journey. As some people said, um, I'm the associate care pastor over Celebrate Recovery, but more importantly, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, celebrating recovery over anxiety and depression, and I struggle with emotional overeating and a tad bit of codependency. And my name is Josh. Hey, tonight it is, we're having a special night, like they said. Uh, this is Holy Week. This is commonly what some people call Monday Thursday, which is when uh, the Lord's Supper took place. So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight, and we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study. So you got your, uh, did you guys feel like you were at the Oscars with your bags when you came in, like your gift bags? There was so much stuff. So you got your bulletin, you've also got your fill-in, and you've got a little thing of passages along with the communion elements. Um, now, we're going to do this short little Bible study, but we have a lot of verses to get through, a lot of passages to get through, and we have a lot of fill-ins tonight. So I can only give you like a little bit of a taste of what these passages are about. So you'll notice that I've included the Bible passages, as I said, in your packet so that you can follow along with the pack passages. And you'll also notice that on your fill-in sheet, I've put the verses for each answer. So my desire is that though we can only sort of touch on each one of these momentarily, that as we prepare our hearts for Easter, that you would spend time this week with these passages and spend time with God and do a little bit of a review Bible study on your own, preparing your heart for Easter, because I'm only going to be able to just touch on these verses. Sound good? Everybody on board with that? All right. When I was in uh, New York City, when I was in New York City, I came across this book that I sort of fell in love with. At the time, I was into theater and I was working in the film industry. And I came across this book called Dear Writer, Dear Actress, The Love Letters of Anton Chekhov and Olga Nipper. Now, Anton Chekhov, of course, is a famous playwright from Russia. And Olga was part of, if you know theater history, uh, Stanislavski, who de developed the method. Uh, so she was like part of like the the birth of modern acting, and he was, you know, changed playwriting forever, and they sort of fell in love. And so this book is a, a list and a copy of their love letters back and forth. And it's incredible because they were from two completely different worlds that converged. It's one of the greatest love stories in theatrical history. But of course, we know that there's a greater love story, don't we? And we know that there's a greater set of love letters. The Bible is God's love letter to us. Not everything in it is pleasant. Not everything do we like when we read it. But those unpleasantries in the Bible are there to warn us and to protect us and to teach us because God loves us. So the Bible is a collection of love letters. And within this collection of love letters to us, some of it contains love letters back to God. Two chapters that particularly fit this in the spirit of correspondence is John 10, which we're going to look at tonight. That's in the front of your passage insert, and the 23rd Psalm. And we're going to look at both of those tonight. So instead of Dear Writer, Dear Actress, our lesson tonight is going to be entitled Dear Shepherd, Dear Flock. Dear Shepherd, Dear Flock, Love Letters to and from the Passover Lamb. 
Both John 10 and Psalm 23 speak of the Lord as our shepherd. They describe the Lord as our shepherd. And the Bible is actually filled with shepherd analogies. But there are two problems with the shepherd analogy in today's society. Number one, the first is that most of us don't know too much about shepherds. And most of us don't know too much about sheep. Most of us have been removed from the process of husbandry and farming, so the meaning can be lost on us. Now, if I've already lost you, husbandry is not when a wife asks the husband to take out the garbage. That's not husbandry. Husbandry is taking care of animals. The second problem with this analogy is a much bigger problem, and that is that we don't like to be compared to sheep. We, as a free society, sort of cringe at the idea of just being sheep. In fact, it's often used as an insult, isn't it? Oh, they're not thinking for themselves. They're just acting like sheep. In our culture, sheep are just one step above lemmings, which run off cliffs and kill themselves to follow other lemmings. We've built a culture of self-empowerment and self-help that makes us feel powerful in the moment, but rarely accomplishes anything. In fact, that sense of self-empowerment and self-help often does great damage to us because it prevents us from admitting that we're powerless. And it prevents us from allowing God to transform us because I am incapable of fixing my own problems. Most of my problems I caused. Some of my problems other people caused, but I'm incapable of fixing it on my own. The key release, I don't know anything about cars, so I'll probably use the wrong word, but the key release in the ignition part of my car has been broken for two years. You can't get the key out. You've got to like go under the dashboard and hit a button to get the key out. I have tried multiple times to leave self-help books in the passenger seat for my car. And never once have I gone out and had the car say, you know, last night I looked deep within my hood and I think I've solved the problem. No, it's still broken. You need someone above the mechanics to fix the problem. The car can't fix itself and neither can I. So that doesn't mean that you should ignore your problems, of course. We do have to inspect ourselves and examine our choices, but we also have to recognize that we're not the source of power capable of making the changes that need to be made. And that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. None of us like to feel like we're being told what to do. None of us like to be compared to sheep. We don't want to be sheep. But don't let our cultural bias toward sheep taint the way that you look at these passages that we're going to look at. Remember, the Bible may call us sheep, but he also calls believers priests and kings. So whenever you read something in the Bible that refers to you as a sheep, remember that the verse is not just about you being powerless to change your circumstances, although that's true. These verses are more about describing the character of God. Describing the character of God. That's their primary goal. The scriptures describing Jesus as our shepherd are love letters to us. And when the world is beating you down, when you feel defeated, when you feel weak, when it feels like no one will stand up for you, that's exactly what you need. You need a love letter from someone who can and will defend you, our shepherd. So, dear shepherd, dear flock, let's start with the shepherd's letter to his flock. 
As we've already said, the entire Bible is a letter to you. But let's look specifically at the section where Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd. And that's John 10. It's on, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 10 or it's on the front of your passage sheet. For those who take notes on your outline, we're going to be looking at five things that this love letter promises from the shepherd. Now remember, chapter dividers, we're starting toward the top of chapter 10, but chapter dividers are put there by man, so they're not divine. So we need a little bit of context of what's happening leading up to this. So just before this, in chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And this causes an uproar among the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Some think that Jesus is sent from God. Others are saying that he was sent by the demons and they attack Jesus. So basically at the end of chapter nine, they say, who do you think you are? Who are you to do this? Who do you think you are? And then chapter 10 or the beginning of chapter 10 is Jesus's response to them. So in essence, Jesus is saying, who am I? Who am I to heal on the Sabbath? Who am I to take care of people when you religious leaders refuse? I will tell you exactly who I am. Verse seven, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's who Jesus says he is. So the first thing that we can see in verse 7, which is where we started, is that the shepherd promises to protect you. To protect you. That's our first fill-in. When darkness and wolves come into your life, into your fold, when spiritual thieves try to throw you off course, the shepherd vows to protect you. In verse 7, Jesus calls himself the gate for the sheep. Shepherds would actually, in biblical times, shepherds would actually lay themselves down in front of the fold opening. So they would literally act as a gate. They would lie across the opening, ensuring nothing would happen to the sheep. The shepherd will not allow anything to take his sheep away. And so he acts as a door. Just a little bit further down in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand because no one can snatch past that gate. And that leads us to number two. The shepherd promises life. The shepherd promises life. Jesus offers both eternal life and a more purposeful, abundant life here on earth. Allowing Christ to be your shepherd doesn't mean there'll never be turmoil. That's not what it means. In fact, in John 16, 33, many of you know this passage. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But the heart of the shepherd is in the next line. But take heart. Because I have overcome this world. You see, we can have peace in this world because we have a shepherd that is trustworthy. We have security in the authority of his promises. That gives us the strength to have a full life no matter what bears or wolves attack our fold. Continuing on in our passage, starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd 
The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So the first thing that we saw, the first promise was that the shepherd promises to protect you. That was in verse 7. And then we said the shepherd promises life in verse 10. Then the third thing that we see in these verses we just read is that the shepherd promises never to abandon you. The shepherd will never abandon you. That's a promise. Look at those verses. Jesus is not a hired hand. He's a shepherd. He loves and cherishes each of you, each one of you individually. A hired hand protects for money, but a true shepherd protects because he has a deep-seated love for the one that he's protecting. Have any of you ever felt abandoned by someone in your life? I have. But God is the one who will never leave, he'll never hurt, he'll never forget, and he'll never be selfish. In fact, number four is the shepherd promised to give up his life for you. The shepherd promised to give up his life for you. We can see that in verse 11 and verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The shepherd will give up his own life for you. Do you see the significance and the power of those verses? We so glibly throw around the phrases like sacrifice and love But think about what this is really saying. He's willing to lay down his life for you. Why? Look closely at verses 14 and 15. Why is he willing to give up his life for you? Because he knows you. You know, sometimes I think if God really knew me, really knew me, he wouldn't want to save me. And he certainly wouldn't want to use me. But no matter what your faults and your blemishes are, the amazing character of God means that he looks at us individually and he says, I will give up my son because I know you, not in spite of it. The text continues. Verse 17. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. That's incredible. The Father sent Jesus, but make sure you don't miss that Jesus came willingly. And that the relationship between the Father and Son is actually tied to his relationship with us. That verse also says, number five, the fifth promise, the shepherd has the authority to keep his promises. He has the authority to keep those promises. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to 
and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. And all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so bad to be a sheep. The shepherd was willing to give up his life to save the sheep. And we just learned that he has the authority to do so. But there was only one way. There was only one way for him to give up his life and sacrifice to save us. And that was that he had to become a sheep. He had to join the flock, become a sheep, live a perfect life, and then end that life on earth as the Passover lamb. That's what we celebrate at Easter this coming weekend. That's what we celebrate every time we have the Lord's Supper. So we want to take just a moment and celebrate that and recognize that and honor that. When you came in, you were given a little canvas bag with a piece of bread and a small piece of juice. And we read in 1 Corinthians, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. A share in the bread. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an arrangement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until, until he comes again. So all of our hurts, all of our habits, all of our hangups are not the end of the story because of that word until because he's coming back to redeem everything. The shepherd became one of the sheep so he could be sacrificed on our behalf, but his resurrection proved his authority as the great shepherd. In the verse we just read earlier, Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. And he chose with authority to take it up again. He laid down his life as a sheep, but he was resurrected to fulfill his role as the great shepherd. That's how Jesus is described in the book of Hebrews. His promises are trustworthy. And the resurrection from the grave is proof that his promises are trustworthy. So then the question is, if these five promises from the shepherd are trustworthy, how do we respond to them? What's our response to this great love letter that we receive from the shepherd? Because even though we can know them intellectually, there are times in our lives that we feel completely overwhelmed. There's times in our lives when we feel defeated. There's times in our lives when we feel angry. Is that true? There are times in our lives when we don't feel protected by the shepherd. There's times in our lives when we don't feel loved. I heard a story once. Some of you are not going to like this story, particularly my wife. Uh, 
about this woman who had a pet python. And oh, everybody's she had this pet python, and it gets worse. And she would let the python sleep in the bed with her. And the python would sleep curled up at the bottom of the, stay with me, I know you're freaking out. (laughs) And this python would sleep curled up at the bottom of the bed. Well, as you know, those of you who have pets, sometimes when they change their behavior, that's an indication that something is wrong. (laughs) And so the snake soon stopped sleeping curled up at the foot of the bed and started stretching out along her body. And she thought that that was out of character for the snake. So she brought it to the vet to make sure that there wasn't something wrong with her beloved python. And she said to the vet, you know, he used to sleep curled up, but now he's, he's coming up alongside my body. And the vet said, there's nothing wrong with the snake. He's just measuring you <laughs> to see if he's big enough yet to eat you. And that's how sin works in our life. And that's how the lies of the enemy works in our lives. It seems innocent enough curled up at the bottom of our bed, but it doesn't take long before the lies of the enemy and the sin that he's whispering into our ears is measuring us to see if it's big enough to take us down. Even King David one of the greatest heroes of the Bible, went through periods of intense personal anguish. David had hurts. David had habits. David had hang-ups. Look at this passage from Psalm 22. It's in your passage guide, or you can look it up. I'm going to read it from the message. And the reason I'm reading it from the message is because the message, although it's not a study Bible, does a great job of capturing the emotion of a moment. And that's what we want to catch is David's emotion. So Psalm 22, starting in verse 14 from the message, I am a bucket kicked over and spilled. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My heart is a blob of melted wax in my gut. I am dry as bone, my tongue black and swollen. They have laid me out for burial in the dirt. Now packs of wild dogs come at me. Thugs gang up on me. They pin me down hand and foot and lock me in a cage, a bag of bones in a cage, stared at by every passerby. They take my wallet and the shirt off my back and then throw dice for my clothes. You, you God, don't put off my rescue. Hurry and help me. Don't let them cut my throat. Don't let the mongrels devour me. If you don't show up soon, I am done for, gored by the bulls, meat for the lions. Anybody ever felt like that? David was discouraged and as defeated as a person could be. But after some healing in his life, he writes one of the most famous passages in the Bible, a sheep's love letter back to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. 
Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me with, by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What happened? What's the difference between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23? What, what transition occurred that changes David's feelings from fear to peace? from feeling unacceptable to knowing that he's cherished? Well, we're going to answer that in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, let's look at what he actually wrote to the shepherd. We looked at five promises from the shepherd in his letter. Let's look very quickly at five acknowledgments about the shepherd from the sheep back to the shepherd. Again, the 23rd Psalm is inside your passage if you want to follow along. Number one that we see first in verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm. The shepherd knows what's best for me. He acknowledges that the shepherd knows what's best for me. And you may want to put in parentheses, better than I do. Remember, David didn't have the same cultural bias towards sheep that we do. He knew exactly what he was saying because he had been a shepherd. And when it came to God, he was fine with being a sheep. When he calls the Lord his shepherd in verse 1, it is an act of submission. Do we submit to God? Look at verse 2. The second acknowledgement that David makes is that I have no need to be afraid. If you're my shepherd, I have no need to be afraid. That's fill in number two in that section. Now, one thing that you have to understand if you don't know about sheep is that sheep are fearful animals and they're easily spooked. Sheep would never, ever lie down next to running water because they would be too afraid. They have to be in a place of peace in order to lie down. If sheep are nervous, they won't lie down. So it's significant that it says that the sheep is lying down in the passage. As I said, they're also afraid of fast-moving water. So he's trusting that the Lord will lead him away from fearful things when it's possible and when it's good for them. And because he has that trust, because he trusts the shepherd, he can say that most famous line in verse 4, and we all know it from the New King James, don't we? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The third thing that David acknowledges in his letter back to the shepherd is that I have comfort in his protection and guidance. Protection and guidance. Now to us, it says rod and staff. To us, those are just two sticks, right? We're like, okay, he's got a rod, he's got a staff. That sounds like two sticks. But to the shepherd, they're much more. And they're much more important. The rod is actually a very specialized weapon. And the shepherds spent years mastering how to use the rod. It's similar to a club, and they would use it to kill snakes and wolves. 
it would have to be a pretty serious stick for me to take on a wolf. But that's what shepherds did with their rod. It was a sign of their authority. The club is a sign of their authority. Now, the staff is not a symbol of authority, but a sign of compassion, a symbol of compassion. It's used to guide the sheep. It's used to inspect the sheep for injuries or disease. And it's used to rescue them from danger if they fall in a crevice. So the staff offers guidance, and the rod and the staff together of our shepherd gives us guidance, protection, and security. And that can comfort us because it means we don't need a rod and staff. The shepherd's got one. Number four, the fourth thing that he acknowledges is that I can trust the shepherd to provide for me. That's in verses one and five. I trust him to provide for me. Even when enemies attack, the shepherd can be trusted to provide you with everything that you need. In the case of verse 5, a feast is prepared and his cup runs over. That means David's being provided with more than just his needs. The shepherd's not just meeting his needs. His cup is running over. He's being given more than he needs, and so are we. So there's no reason to question what you need in this life because the shepherd knows and we can peacefully say, I shall not want. Finally, number five. From within the flock, he acknowledges, I believe that the shepherd loves me. I believe that the shepherd loves me. We see that in verse three as well as five and six. Now that seems obvious from everything we've said. It seems obvious. But most of our self-doubt, make, you, make sure you catch this. Most of our self-doubt and suffering is caused because we feel unloved or unvalued by ourselves or others. When you truly grasp how much God loves you, it changes everything. And he loved you enough to become a sheep and go to that cross so that he could be an eternal shepherd of protection for us. In verse 5, it also referred to having your head anointed with oil. Now, that's not just a sign of affection, but of purpose. Being anointed with oil, like when David was anointed king, it's an anointing of purpose. And God has a purpose for your life. He has a specific purpose purpose for you and your life. He loves the entire flock, but you have been chosen for a reason. And he has a purpose for you, not just us corporately, you individually. He chose you. And this is important because he guides me along right paths, as it says, bringing honor to his name in verse 3. We know his love is based on his character and not my actions. The shepherd's love for the sheep is based on his character, not what the sheep do. 
And all five of these acknowledgments boil down to one thing. Trust. Trusting the shepherd. The greatest response to the shepherd's love letter to us is trust. Now, we might say, and there might be some of us in this room today that feel this way, that that psalm is fine for David. But that's David. I, I don't feel that kind of peace in my life. I don't think it's possible to feel the kind of peace that Psalm 23 talks about. Maybe, maybe you feel that way tonight. Well, remember, in Psalm 22, David felt like he was being attacked by wild dogs and thought that he was at the edge of death. So how did he change his perspective? Because Psalm 23 is possible. Psalm 23 is real. That peace is real. It can be in your life. But you have to change your perspective just like David did. So isn't it valuable to know how David did that? Let's go back to 22. At the end of David's soliloquy of self-loathing, he moves his focus off his own problem and begins to worship God. Because God had already provided a solution. Even though there's no indication in Psalm 22 that any of David's circumstances have changed. Nothing has changed. Everything is the same. Except David's heart. Because down in verse 21, where we stopped reading before, David said, If you don't show up soon, I'm done for. Gored by the bulls, meat for the lions. And then... He says, but you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. He changed the perspective of his heart through worship. And he could do that because through worship, he remembered the promises that the shepherd had made. In your darkest moments, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, find a way to worship God. Because when the snake is measuring us, the only thing that can bring his rod down upon the snake's head, the only one who brings peace and hope is Jesus Christ. If you were encouraged by this message, you can learn more about Celebrate Recovery or our other care ministries at Brookwood by visiting brookwoodchurch.org forward slash care or at the Brookwood Church app. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.